This is Jesus speaking. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Praise Christ for his glorious gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Let us pray. Grant us, O Lord God, the knowledge of your divine words, and fill us with the understanding of your holy gospel and the riches of your divine gifts and the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. Enable us with joy to keep your holy commandments and accomplish them and fulfill your will and to be accounted worthy of the blessings and the mercies that are from you now and at all times. Amen. Amen. may be seated. Popular speaker Tony Campolo used to tell the story about a hillbilly church a friend once attended. This was during the 60s, shortly after the Supreme Court ordered schools to be desegregated. He was surprised to find this church in the hills of North Carolina composed both of African Americans and white folks. He asked the preacher afterwards if this was in response to the recent Supreme Supreme Court ruling, but the hillbilly pastor said, What's a Supreme Court? (laughs) Well, how did this church come to be racially integrated, the man asked. Well, the former pastor laughed, and we couldn't find anyone to take the job, the pastor replied. So I said I'd preach if they'd have me. I preached on God's love for all people, and how God loves all people, black and white, and how everyone is welcome here, regardless of their skin color. I preached this church down to four, and we've been growing ever since. Well, in today's passage... Jesus preached the crowd down to 12. We've been reading John's Gospel these Sundays, chapter 6, which opens with a large crowd following Jesus, so many, in fact, that it was impossible for them to get enough food to eat. And Jesus fed all of them, all 5,000, by by a miracle. That night, then, Jesus and his apostles got into a boat and crossed the Sea of Galilee. So the next morning, the crowd went looking for him and couldn't, couldn't find Jesus anywhere, but they noticed that the boat was missing. So they all piled into boats, too, and raced across the Sea of Galilee to try to find Jesus, went looking for him. And when they found him, Jesus pointed out they weren't really interested in his teaching. They just wanted some more bread. And then Jesus began to say crazy things. 
Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And not content to stop there, Jesus dug in and finished this sermon by saying this. Now listen closely. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. (laughs) This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. You know, normal people don't talk like that. Bread of life? Bread from heaven? You know, normal Christians, do, do your friends talk this way? <laughs> do, you know, and uh, eat, eat Jesus' flesh? No wonder the Romans thought that the early Christians were cannibals. <laughs> this is certifiably crazy talk. So eventually the crowd left. All of them. I suppose they could see that Jesus had no intention of providing another bread feast, and so it must have seemed like a waste of time to, to sit around and hear Jesus go on like this. And it appears that Jesus was content to let them go. He didn't change his message. And like I said, he, he sort of dug in. In, in a sense, he made it crazier the more he talked. <laughs> um, at last, only 12 disciples were left, and Jesus gave them a way out too. He said, do you want to go away as well? And Peter typically spoke for the 12 and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Which is a polite way of saying, we're stuck with you, so we don't have a choice. Not exactly a ringing endorsement of Jesus' teaching. Well, do you ever find yourself in this kind of situation? Do you ever find Jesus confusing? Most people do. I do. You pray for healing and it doesn't happen. You pray for safety on the road and you get into an accident. Meanwhile, some hot rodder is zipping around and unscathed. Nothing happens to him. And you think he deserves to have a wreck. Where, where is Jesus? Jesus claims all authority, and it seems like he's sort of not paying any attention. You try to plant a church which will bring glory to Jesus, and it fails. You turn to the Bible for answers, and you read it, and you get more confused. This summer, Ruth and I read the David narratives in the Old Testament. God prevented David from murdering Nabal, uh, who wasn't a very nice man. So why did God let David sin with Bathsheba and murder Uriah, who was a nice man? What's going on here? Why would God do this? And so then we kept reading through kings, and we kept wondering, why did our good, all-powerful God allow such wicked kings to rule over his, his people? You would think that God would have thrown them out. You know, it's enough to make you think that the Bible just really isn't really much help to us in our daily needs. So, so yeah, so are you like the crowds or... Are you, at times, fed up with Jesus? <laughs> You've been trying, and it's just not working. Uh, the unanswered prayers, the un- uncomprehensible scriptures, the sick church. You're here this morning, at least physically. Are you checked out emotionally and spiritually? 
You know, I can understand if you are. You know, that happens. Um, even the most spiritual of us struggle with these things. Pastors and theologians are deeply confused about Jesus. They, they engaged in violent struggles in the 4th and 5th centuries about the doctrines of the Trinity and the nature of Christ. Well, those issues are settled now, but there are thousands of other issues where there is hopeless confusion. Well, at least today, pastors and theologians no longer employ street gangs to fight their theological battles the way they did back then. But okay, let's be honest about this. Jesus is confusing. Jesus is also kind and loving, but that doesn't make him any less confusing. So, okay, so shall we follow the crowd and leave? I mean, there, there are good teachers and leaders out there who are not confusing. You know, maybe this following Jesus thing is just a blind alley. You know, maybe we should look for someone who makes sense. Um, well, some people have sought to make Jesus less confusing. Like Thomas Jefferson. Remember Thomas Jefferson taking the scissors and cutting out the confusing parts of the Bible? Um, you know, so that's what he did. Uh, it seems the, as though... <laughs> Oh, yeah. And so last week, Matt read some, some alarming statistics about the beliefs of self-identified Christians. And it seems like uh, most people who do stick with Jesus or say they do actually don't believe or pay any attention to a lot of what he said. Or maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe Jesus doesn't care if we understand him. Some Christians consciously take the position that doctrine doesn't matter. Only love does. Well, that position is clearly and emphatically wrong. Now, you might be shocked to hear about the street gangs who fought over theology in the 4th and 5th centuries, but at least they cared about something that was truly important. From beginning to end, God calls us in the scripture to know him, to absorb his word, to understand his ways. Street battles aren't the way to solve doctrinal disputes, but doctrine is important enough to struggle over. The Bible says so, and so if it's important to understand Jesus, why does he make it so difficult? Well, there are two points that I want to make about this particular question. Why is it so hard to understand Jesus? The first and most important thing to know about Jesus is that the most, the most important things about Jesus are not at all confusing. They're easy and simple. It is as clear as the Arizona sky. Children, uneducated people, anyone can grasp that Jesus is God who lived among us. He died in our place. He rose again and cares for us now. That, that, those are the most important facts about Jesus, and they're pretty easy to grasp. As Mark Twain said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the part that I do understand. Every single person born on earth has the ability to understand enough about Jesus to be saved. And those who claim to be confused about the gospel have been blinded by sin and by Satan. So the most important things that Jesus said are not that hard to get. So we want to hang on to that. Secondly, however, it makes complete sense that Jesus is confusing. How could it be otherwise? If Jesus is God, Jesus is infinite. He's all-knowing. Jesus created and rules the universe. If you could understand Jesus, you would be God, or Jesus wouldn't be. I mean, in the nature of the case, it, it makes sense that there are going to be times in which we don't quite understand what Jesus is doing. Now, that doesn't remove the confusion. In fact, 
it dooms us to an eternal state of confusion. Forever, we're never going to understand Jesus completely. But go back to point one. Point one is that the important things to understand are easy to understand. While one serious error is to despise understanding, another is to worship it. And this is what we all do. Jesus goes to the bother of teaching us, and if we judge the lesson to be tiresome, we just leave, just like the crowd. Now, how often have you skipped the boring parts in the Bible? You know, you're reading through, and you get to a chapter of genealogies, or, you know, you're reading in the book of Chronicles. So Ruth and I read through, we started in 1 Samuel, we read Samuel and Kings, uh, and then we went to the New Testament. But you know what comes after Kings it comes, is Chronicles. And the books of Chronicles are uh, roughly parallel to the book of Kings. But you know what? The first, like, ten chapters of Chronicles is just a list of names. And I saw that and I thought, I don't want to read that. You know, you know do you do that? Do you skip the boring parts? of the Bible. How about Leviticus? Uh, when I was a little kid, I um, thought that I'd read the Bible all the way through. And I was elementary age. I made it through Leviticus. It was hard, but I made it through Leviticus. I did not make it through Job. I, 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 I pooped out when I got to Job. Um, well, and, and do, you, do you find it hard to pay attention when we read these kinds of passages on Sunday morning? No, because we don't. Why don't pastors read this kind of stuff in church on Sunday morning? Because they're afraid. They're afraid that if we do, you won't come back. You'll get disgusted and you'll get tired and you'll get frustrated and, and you won't come back. So we don't read those kinds of passages. Well, maybe, that, maybe this is not the best place to read them. Uh, but nevertheless, it's scandalously wrong not to care if you understand Jesus, but it's wicked to judge the value of his message by your own standard. As Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture. That means the boring and confusing parts too. You don't get to judge the value of God's word. God has passed judgment already. Your choice is to judge whether God is telling the truth or not. And now let's apply that first principle, that first point to the text at hand. That what Jesus, the most important thing that Jesus teaches is easy to get. And we're going to see that in this text. Now there's much that's confusing about this passage. You know, really deeply confusing. I admit that. I'll be the first to say that. But the main point is stunningly clear. Peter said it all very simply. He said, you have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's it. That's the point of this passage, that Jesus is God come down from heaven, taking human flesh, and Jesus' words give life. That's what this is all about. That's what this chapter is about. Neat and simple. It's so easy to stumble over the hard parts of this passage, and there are very hard parts the, the church is still deeply divided over what it means to eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus. Um, and it's no good to act as though it doesn't matter. It matters. These things are matter to some degree. But that's not the main thing that Jesus is talking about here. You know, there's a time and a place for pastors and theologians to talk about this and study and try to understand more deeply. But the main thing is that Jesus is saying here that, his, that the, the topic of this sermon is life. 
Now, Jesus began his sermon this way. In verse 27, he said, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. You know, English composition, how do you start something? You start it with a topic sentence, usually. You, you start it by sort of stating in some, to some degree what, what, you're, what you're going to be talking about. This is it. We're going to be talking about eternal life. He said it right there. Uh, and he's, we're going to be talking about the eternal life that Jesus gives you. Um, and we're going to be talking about food as well. But he continues, verse 33, The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Verse 40, everyone who looks on the Son and believes on him should have eternal life. Verse 47 and 48, whoever believes has eternal life, and I am the bread of life. Verses 49 to 50, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living, verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verses 53 to 54. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Verse 57. As the, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So, yeah, there's talk in here about eating Jesus' flesh, but that's not the main point. All through, you see, he keeps talking about life over and over and over and over again. Now, Jesus' most sobering statement is about our condition apart from him. He begins verse 53 with the solemn words, Truly, truly, I say to you, and that's our indication that this, this is really a big deal here. And he continues, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's a big deal. Uh, Jesus really wants us to pay attention here. Here Jesus is picking up and, and expanding the teaching that he gave to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus explained to Nicodemus that man is born a creature of the flesh. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way God made us. We're born a creature of the of flesh. But in that state, he's incapable of entering the kingdom of God. Only when he is born of the Spirit can he enter God's kingdom. And that second birth is a birth from heaven, a birth by the Spirit, and it initiates eternal life. Until we're born from above, born of the Spirit, you are alive in the flesh, but dead spiritually. And so Jesus is now picking up on that idea and expanding it a little bit. You have no life in you. Thud. That's it. You're dead. Now. And if you're here and have spent your life not trusting in Jesus, that's you. You're spiritually dead. Someday your flesh also will die, and then you will be completely dead forever. Now, that's grim news, folks. <clears throat> Jesus didn't come to make life better for us. Jesus did not come to make us good. Jesus came to give us life. Came in, Jesus came into a dead and dying world to give life and to give with it love and joy and hope. 
That's, that's joyful news. That's what the gospel is. If you've been avoiding Jesus all your life, today is the day for you to repent of your callous refusal. Come to Jesus. Talk to one of the elders afterwards. We'd, we'd love to help you. Now, did you notice that the life Jesus offers is not a one-time deal? It's not like buying a piece of furniture. You bring a sofa home, you put it in your living room, it stays there until you move it. The life Jesus offers is more like buying water service. You know, you pay the city, uh, and they connect you to the water main, and all day, every day, water streams into your house. It never stops. If by some, by some chance the, the, the water connection breaks, then you don't have any water. It's, you know, it's, it's done. You know, you, you turn on the faucet, and it just nothing happens. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the sofa is still sitting pretty in your living room. You can go and sit in it any time you want. It works just fine. So, but you see, Jesus must say that you must eat, Jesus says you must eat the heavenly bread, you must eat his flesh, you must drink his blood. Now, whatever else that means, it certainly means that the eternal life that Jesus gives is sustained by continual eating and drinking. And Jesus says that he is that bread, and the flesh and blood that we need is his flesh and blood. The life that Jesus gives comes from Jesus and is sustained by Jesus. Now, Jesus will explain this using a different metaphor in John chapter 15. There, Jesus says that he is the true vine and we are the branches. We live in him as a vine, and as a vine supplies nutrients to its branches and makes them fruitful, so Jesus nourishes us and makes us fruitful. Now, if you've been baptized, you are in that vine. You have life in Christ. You have access to the nourishment that Jesus provides. And you can expect to live a fruitful life. But Jesus also said that unfruitful branches will be cut off and burned. That means if you do not draw nourishment from Jesus, you will wither and die. And then God will cut you off from Jesus and you will perish completely. The life that Jesus gives is Jesus himself. Jesus is the bread of heaven. Jesus doesn't give you life in a package for you to take home and store in your pantry or put on the shelf. The life that Jesus gives you is fellowship with him, is, is, is a continual connection to him. Each day, every day, especially each Lord's Day, Jesus pours life into you. And Jesus keeps doing this forever. Eternal life is constant communion with Jesus. It's not a package you get once and keep. Eternal life is constant communion with Jesus. Jesus uses another word to express this. In verse 56, he says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Abide is the word. The life that Jesus brings is constantly being poured into us. Eternal life is being so close to Jesus. It's like living in him, which, you know, is kind of a, a, a kind of a crazy thought, you know. What does it mean to live in Jesus? Well, it's like that. You know, if you could imagine living in Jesus, th- this eternal life is like that. <clears throat> um, eternal life is is uh, is like living in Jesus. It's like eating Jesus. Um, we, so we, we are we in Jesus, Jesus in us, that's what eternal life is. But we're not philosophers, and enough of this airy talk. Some of you are probably getting bored with me. 
Uh, we're practical Americans. We want to know how this works. Especially, we want to know what we must do. Well, Peter points us in the right direction when he said, you have the words of eternal life. The words of Jesus are what connect us to him. Now, even on a human level, you feel closer to someone with whom you talk. You might admire your next-door neighbor. You might mow his grass. She might bake you cookies. But you'll never feel close to him or her unless you talk together. Conversation draws us together, and the more you talk, the closer you feel. A simple, basic principle applies to Jesus. The more Jesus talks to you, the closer you come to him. And in prayer, you talk to Jesus. In prayer, you speak to him. Bible reading and prayer are the practical activities that connect us to Jesus. And that's why we read several generous passages of scripture each Sunday. That connects us to Jesus. On Sunday, we devote a healthy portion of our time here to prayer. Participation in the Lord's Day worship is vital for maintaining a healthy relationship with Jesus. So, good to see you all. But come back on a regular basis. You know, don't be haphazard about it. Someone who comes to worship infrequently is malnourished and weak. But once a week is not enough to keep you spiritually healthy. The Christian who desires a healthy spiritual life needs to be with Jesus every day. Now, it can be difficult to read the Bible and pray on a regular basis. And Some days you roll out of bed late and you, it's just all you can do to just get to work or where you have to go. I know that. Yeah, that happens at times. Um, so that, that we get busy and distracted by many obligations of life. We also get confused and discouraged. Parts of the Bible are confusing, very confusing. And it's natural to become exasperated with the difficult parts of the Bible. It seems like reading the Bible is of no value when we don't understand it. True, it's perverse not to care about understanding. And reading the Bible is not a magic trick that's going to give you superpowers. But Jesus is present when you read the Bible, whether you understand it or not. Jesus, wasn't, Jesus was present with the people in today's passage all day. Jesus never left. They had no idea what he was saying. They had no idea what he was saying, but he was there. Do you want to be with Jesus? You know, you, you know it, as I said, it's kind of perverse if you don't care what he's saying. But when you don't, it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't there. Um, Jesus is present Jesus wants to be with us, and when he is, he makes us stronger. Notice that Jesus did not say to Peter, do you understand what I'm saying? Christians, especially Reformed people, worship understanding. We make an idol out of it. It's, we should understand. We should pursue understanding. Don't get me wrong. If you hear me saying that it doesn't matter, that is not what I'm saying. It matters. <clears throat> um, but... That's not the focus here. The focus is that they were with Jesus, and that was the main thing that mattered. Uh, Understanding may come later by pieces, but only if we stay with Jesus. Jesus asked Peter, do you want to go away? He didn't ask him, do you understand? Because as long as Peter stays with Jesus, he'll eventually understand. Someday. It'll come. A little bit at a time, maybe. Um, But you've got to stay with him. And even when we don't understand everything, Jesus is still there strengthening us. Now, fathers set the example and take the lead in drawing their families to Jesus. It's hard in our fast-paced society to have family devotions every night or, or any night. But family devotions are important for a strong family, even if only several times a week. 
Schedule is a problem, is a challenge, something you have to work on. But perhaps the greater issue is intimidation. Many men think they don't understand the Bible well enough to teach their families. Many men are embarrassed and afraid that um, somebody will say, well, hey, Dad, what does that mean? And they have no idea, and they'll look awkward and so forth. I understand that. It's an understandable concern, but it misses the point. Again, what we see here is our society's worship of knowledge mixed with a generous helping of pride, and it keeps us from Jesus. Even if you understand little, just reading the Bible brings you into close contact with Jesus. You don't have to provide a sermonette or be able to answer all the questions. Some fathers might think that they can't hold children's attention for family devotions. What you know, if that's a real issue, you might be taking too long. You know, for a family of toddlers, you should read a, a few verses, two or three verses of scripture, make a comment or two if something comes to mind, or if not, don't bother. Say a 30-second prayer, and you're done for toddlers. You know, that's enough for toddlers. <laughs> you don't want to... You know, toddlers can't sit for much longer than a couple minutes unless you tie them down. So don't. Just say a few things and be, be on with it. Um, older children can read a paragraph, maybe one encounter in, in the Gospels, or maybe one parable, uh, one paragraph somewhere else, solicit some thoughts. If there are none, well, that's no problem. Move on. Pray the Lord's Prayer. You can ask each child to pray for a simple need, like help with the homework. And if you set the example by saying, Dear Lord, we pray that you just help us with our schoolwork this week because it's, been, it's tough and we struggle. And show the children that, you know, you don't have to have any flowery language or it's theological knowledge. You can talk normally. You know, God understands normal conversation. Uh, you can do that. Um, and, you're, and children, you know, school-age children can, can do this sort of thing. Um, sing if your family can do so or if it's not too difficult. But, you know, 15 or 20 minutes max. Um, I, you know, school-age children, it's, it's going to be hard to hold them for an hour. Gosh, an hour? You've got to be kidding. No, don't do that. Um, teenagers should have a longer attention span, but be mindful of any toddlers still in the household. Ease into a simple, sustainable pattern and adapt as you go. Well, after 40 years, I picked up the clarinet again, and all I'm playing is simple beginner music. Real simple stuff. <laughs> I'm at the beginning of the intermediate book, and um, you know, it's uh, anybody listening to me, I guess, is boring. Ruth has banished me to the basement. Um, <laughs> when I was in high school, I played Mozart's clarinet concerto, but I can't do that now. I, I I would like to someday, but you know, right now I have to do the simple stuff. You know, start simple. You know, if you feel a little awkward reading the Bible, read easy passages. Just do that for a while and, and work up, and eventually you can uh, read more challenging parts. Read the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark is, is easy to read. Read Paul's letter to the Philippians. If you want to read something in the Old Testament, read the short book of Ruth or maybe the stories in Genesis, which are amazingly good stories. They just, they're gripping, really. Um, don't begin by reading Isaiah. Don't do that. It's 66 chapters, and it's all poetry. Um, you know, I got, when I was a kid, I got stuck in Job. Yeah, it's all poetry, too. You know, forget that kind of stuff if you're just starting, if, if this is a new thing for you. Start easy and work up to the harder books. 
Well, fathers, it's terribly hard to answer all questions about the Bible, and you may, in fact, not be skilled at teaching, but it's easy to bring your family to Jesus. Now, if you think it's too hard for you to do, that's the world scaring you. That's the flesh lying to you, and it's Satan tormenting you. Now, Jesus says that he has overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. So don't live by those lies. You know, if you're feeling like you can't do this, something is lying to you. It's, it's not true. Don't, don't be hoodwinked. Don't allow yourself to get sucked into that. Trust in Jesus. Stay with Jesus. Bring your family to him. And mothers, encourage your children to participate. And you can lead the family devotions when dad is away. You know, you'd be horrified to see your children malnourished physically. Don't let them get malnourished spiritually. Eternal life is constant communion with Jesus. It's as if we were in Jesus and he were in us. And when we eat the bread and drink the wine of the Lord's Supper, we do physically what Jesus does spiritually. When we eat and drink bread and wine, Jesus enters us. And just as that bread and wine give strength to our bodies, Jesus strengthens our souls. And just as neglecting food makes us weak and malnourished, so neglecting the Lord's Supper makes us spiritually weak and spiritually malnourished. Those branches which do not receive nutrients from the vine are cut off and burned, and those Christians who neglect Scripture, prayer, and the Lord's Supper will eventually be cut out of the kingdom and burned. And just as you need frequently to stay nourished physically, you need the Lord's Supper frequently to stay spiritually nourished. Along with scripture and prayer, the Lord's Supper makes us spiritually strong so that we can defeat those enemies of our souls, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The the Lord's Supper is a reminder of Jesus' death for our sins, but even more, it's a celebration of the resurrection. Jesus' death took place a long time ago, but his resurrection is with us today and every day. Every day, the resurrected Christ walks with you, guides you, protects you, and on this day, the Lord's Day, we celebrate Jesus' victory over death with this feast of bread and wine. Jesus has provided lots of bread here so that you can take a large piece and enjoy it. Jesus welcomes us with wine on this joyous occasion, Christians need this food, and Jesus welcomes you. Now, if you haven't been baptized, then turn away from your miserable life of sin and receive baptism, and then you can join us next week or soon thereafter. Jesus is the bread from heaven that gives eternal life, so come. All Christians, come, join us, feast on Jesus, rejoice in the Spirit, worship the Father. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, It's hard to believe that you would send your only begotten son into this miserable world to rescue us from the sin that we love and from Satan who hates us. And we compound our unbelief by demanding that Jesus always speak to us in simple, easy language. We confess that we are like the crowd. We quickly get bored with Jesus, leave him to do something that seems more interesting or important. What sinful people we are. But Father, we find it even harder to believe that Even as we leave Jesus, he never leaves us, that he is always present in scripture, in prayer, and in this bread and wine. We praise and thank you for your amazing love and never letting us go. 
strengthen our faith so that we might rejoice in the presence of Jesus and celebrate his resurrection today and every day, forever into eternity. Amen. Please stand unto him who loves us and speaks to us and gives himself for us, the only begotten Son of our Heavenly Father, be honor and glory and majesty forever and ever. Amen. Amen.